Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is somebody I've known for six years, but I've never met face-to-face, is my friend Jameson Manwaring. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Um, We're recording this podcast on 9-11. You'll be listening to it after 9-11, but that's a special day, obviously, in the history of America. I've listened to um, wonderful um, production that Jane Clayson Johnson did with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir commemorating that. So for those of you that are connected with 9-11, it's a tough day and a day to remember. I'm thinking also of 9-11 was a chance that our country really came together And I recognize 20 years later, we're much divided as a country. And I think part of the purpose of this podcast is to find unity and diversity and ways to find common ground. And the intersection of being LDS and LGBTQ could be a way that divides us, but it could be our finest day to bring us together um, to find common ground. And it's men like Jameson Manwaring, gay Latter-day Saint, willing to share his story that help us. It's also the day of the Utah-BYU football game, um, and that, by the time you hear the podcast, will be over, but we don't know if Utah or BYU is going to win tonight, and Jameson is in town for that game. Is that right? That's right. I have my Utah shirt on, and I was walking around downtown this morning and saw a lot of blue and, and red uh, intermix, so... Uh, yeah, came here, my my dad, uh, for Father's Day, and I'm also going to include his birthday because the tickets were pretty expensive. I said, let's go to the BYU game. <laughs> he turns 80 in a couple of weeks. Doesn't he turn 80? Yeah, turns 80 in a few weeks. So he's a BYU fan, and uh, he has a, a granddaughter there. I have a niece there at BYU, but I went to Utah and love the Utes. So we're, we're here, you know. To the theme of the show, we're bridging a, the gap here between BYU and Utah between with, with uh, going to the game together. Tell us your tie to the University of Utah growing up in Idaho. Uh, yeah, well, I was never too close with University of Utah um, until I decided to go to school. I um, had moved to Provo, planned to go to BYU in uh, 2008, and uh, after living in Provo for a little while, I was at that point just coming to accept that I was gay. And I had originally moved there to Provo because I thought I hadn't met the right girl yet and Provo was going to have the best girls. So that was going to cure me. <laughs> so I moved there in 2008. And um, the, uh, the girls are great, but that didn't change anything. And so I was there for about a year doing some early classes at BYU, realized Provo was not going to be a good spot for me um, and decided to look at my other options. Had spent some time at the campus, University of Utah, transferred there, and then I ended up having an awesome experience there. Loved it. And what's your degree in, Jameson? Finance. And we'll probably talk more about that when we talk about your career. So anyway, I'm a Ute fan surrounded by BYU. My wife, I met at BYU, and all of our six kids are BYU fans. So when we the BYU-Utah game's on at our house, I kind of go and watch it alone <laughs> and just kind of enjoy that experience for good or for worse on my own. So some common ground here. I bet a lot of houses in Utah look like that today. <laughs> that is funny. Jameson's mom, Sue, is here um, in the room supporting her son. 
And I just wanted to introduce this family. Sue and Brett are a family that raised eight children in Idaho Falls. Um, they have 27 grandchildren and eight grandkids and eight grand great-grandkids. And at times on social media, I'll see this extended family picture. And I just it's just a beautiful family. Um, I know three of their kids. I know their daughter, Sue's daughter, um, Amy Manwaring-Taylor, and her husband, Brooks, in Idaho Falls. I've gotten to know that family. I know your brother, Jonathan, which I think is your sixth child, and his wife, Rachel. And they're the ones that have a daughter at BYU, I believe. And then Jameson, you're the eighth child, the baby, the caboose. Yeah. Johnny's actually just one year, the one right ahead of me. So he's seventh. So he's seventh. So we skipped one in there in the last four. Um, when I stepped in the space in 2015, listeners trying to understand how to support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and just connected with a whole group of people that I'd never known before, the man-wearing family was just a family that I instantly recognized were in this space. And it, and it took me a little while to figure out exactly why. It's because of Jameson. And then this whole family um, supporting and loving their son as he came out. So... I just wanted to have Jameson on the podcast. This is probably three or four years overdue. Um, but Jameson at age 40, a business owner, um, spent time on in New York in a really good place emotionally, spiritually, with a sexual orientation. I felt he could be helpful for those of you that are LGBTQ, especially you that are younger, um, trying to figure out this road. Um, families that are um, finding out for the first time you have an LGBTQ child local leaders that are trying to do a better job ministering to LGBTQ members in your ward. And I thought hearing Jameson talk um, would be the most, would be very helpful. So that's our prayer. And I do a good job as a podcast host. I'll quit talking and let Jameson do the rest of the talking. So I'll just kind of turn it over to you to wherever you want to start. Uh, and logically, it could be just your story of growing up in Idaho and being a closeted gay teenager, wherever you want to start. Sure. Well, uh, one of the reasons why I want to do this podcast, because you and I have been communicating for about a year and a half and I have, I had, because of COVID hadn't been up here a lot, but the, I had it on my list that once I got back up to Salt Lake, I wanted to do it because I really support anybody who will, will be in that messy middle and it's not a comfortable place to be all the time. And what I mean by messy middle is someone who uh, supports LGBT folks uh, for who they are and is not trying to change them and kind of does the same to the church. Um, and that's hard to do, uh, maybe impossible to do, some would argue. And I think it's so important uh, to have conversations that you're having because for someone like me, both of those things have been a big part of my life. Uh, growing up LDS in a LDS community, um, I not only are you growing up, growing up in that community, but I really identified with my Mormon heritage. You know, if I think about why I live in the Western United States, which I love, my ancestors were converted in Europe and England and in Denmark, and they wanted to follow the prophet and be with the saints. So they crossed the Atlantic and then they struggled with the saints there and then came over the, the, the plains to, to Salt Lake and then spread out to Arizona and Idaho and 
that's why they were here because they wanted to be with the saints. And I love that. I love the, uh, um, that that's, that I was able to be born in that, with that sort of heritage. How lucky am I, uh, to, to live in the United States, the, where we have the freedoms we have, the opportunities we have. And I did nothing to, to get that, but I was born into a great circumstance. And a lot of that has to do with my ancestors who followed, you know, followed the prophet. And then, you know, I feel so blessed to, to be born in a great family with committed uh, parents um, in an, in a great community. So these are things that, um, uh, I value. And as, as I grew up and nine, 10 years old started feeling, uh, a weirdness when it came to <laughs> how, um, who I thought was cute, who I was kind of drawn to the conflicts kind of started because, um, first off, I knew you're supposed to marry a woman uh, and have, have kids. And there was nothing that was going to change me from ever wanting to not do that. <clears throat> and then as they continue to grow and you go, go through puberty and you, uh, you, you grow up as, as, a, as an adult, that divide <laughs> becomes you know, a great divide in your, in your life. And in my case, being in the closet, it, it, you know, metaphorically, uh, was a, was a big, uh, Canyon. And I didn't know how to, to bridge any of that, uh, at a young age. <clears throat> um, and up into my, my mission, the way that I bridged it was took whatever snippets I heard from church leaders uh, around the topic, um, not great resources at the time. I read the miracle of forgiveness, the whole thing. <laughs> it's funny, but miracle of forgiveness, there's some good things in it after I think page 150 or something, you know, the, just talk about the traditional repentance process, but the other, the first of it, that's what I kind of went on. And, um, I made a lot of deals with God along the way, you know, if I do, uh, if I'm this devout um, Latter-day Saint, then this will go away because I don't see any way I can bridge this canyon. And uh, I, I, my nickname was was Mormon growing up. My any friends listening to this will remember on the football field, everyone called me Mormon because I was the Mormon. <laughs> um, and. Uh, and then I, you know, ultimately made a deal with God that as I got a little older and I started to see things a little bit more from a, uh, the, the real reality of things, I started wondering, is this really going to change or not? But that was the deals that I had made, you know, growing up that this would go away. But ultimately I kind of made that deal with God that, okay, I'm going to go on a mission, which I always wanted to do, I'm gonna, but I'm not just going to go on the mission. I'm going to go all in on this which was great. I mean, that's the only way to live life anyway. Right. But I'm going to go all in on this. And that's when I come home for my mission, I'll be ready to get married and, and start my life. So I don't really regret that because I, I think you should go all in on your mission. Uh, and I had a great mission because of it. Lo loved my mission. Um, 
and soon out when I was out there, found that some of those missionaries that were out there were very attractive. And I thought that was going to go away and it didn't. And I grew close to a few of them and felt weird about that. <laughs> um, it didn't go away. Um, so that was very disappointing at the time because wait a second, I'm doing everything. I, w I was wait, I woke up, my mission companions can attest to it, 5.30 an hour early every day of my mission for that extra hour of study. I was kind of silly thinking back at, at the time, but I was all in. And um, thankfully had a great mission president, came out to him on my mission. <clears throat> and he's somebody who is one of the, I think I've, I've said before, besides my, my parents and family, probably the most influential per people in my life. Very intelligent guy. He worked on the Apollo missions for NASA engineer. And when I told him about uh, my same-sex attraction, as I called it then, he had no judgment, just empathy and love. <clears throat> and really kind of started helping me try to bridge that canyon. And so I, I have... I have a lot of admiration for him for many reasons, but that's, that's the biggest, um, as a, you know, mission president who is totally believing in all the doctrines of the church. Um, he's, he tried to start helping me. How do I, how do I bridge this? Um, and when I came home from my mission, um, started dating, let's get this thing going. This is all going to work out. And I remember distinctly one, one day, two or three months home, it just hit me that this isn't going away. It's just there and stronger than ever. And I started having friends getting married. And that's when, that's the hardest part of my life. And I, maybe you say it the, the darkest part of my life, but um, I certainly don't regret it. The hardest part was when, you know, up until that point, you can, you can just do the Mormon path and kind of fake it, but not now. Once you get, have to get married <laughs> and you commit to another individual, now you bring somebody else into this, this thing. So that's, that's a whole uh, different um, uh, situation. So As, as I got to that point, um, I'll, I think it's interesting because I, I explored all my options at that point. Once I kind of finally accepted that my sexual orientation was there, I also knew I never chose it. And that taught me something. That taught me that me and God are in this together. Because he created me. I never chose this. So I got a partner here. So we're going to figure this out together, right? <clears throat> So the, the first thing that I did is I talked to a bishop, good bishop, in uh, at the time I had moved to Arizona, and he had had at a stake leadership meeting had um, had a training on someone who had a practice, a therapist who had a practice in Mesa to help folks overcome same sex attraction. And this is in 2003, 2004. And he, and he told me that. And I said, I never even knew that existed. And he gave me the guy's card. And I, this is what I've been waiting for. So 
<clears throat> I had the card on my mantle for a while and finally decided to call, get an appointment, go, go down, start talk to this guy. And I was really concerned who else would see me in the lobby of this guy's office <laughs> because it was, I had a, I had a persona that I had in my head that I, you know, I can't let this thing out of the bag. I can talk to a few priesthood leaders, but that's it. And I met with this guy, this guy's name's Floyd Godfrey in Arizona. He's still there. Uh, interesting guy, interesting story. Um, and basically he, as, as I went and met with him, he basically told me there were all these reasons why I was filling these fillings and that they could be fixed. And I was a little, um, skeptical, but he kind of brought me, he got, he got me excited about it. And again, I was going to go all in cause this was the, this is the deal. And, um, I bought his book. I shared the book with my family and it, and I'll tell you one thing he told me I had to do was I had to share it with people in my life that I was, that I had same sex attraction as we were going to call it. <laughs> so I shared it with, um, uh, some people in my life and I shared the book and, um, it, it was, uh, an education and I did, was involved in his therapy for three or four months. I got engaged to a girl about in that process. I brought her to therapy with me. I told, told her about it. And I thought we were on the, the path to go for some sort of, you know, mixed orientation marriage, but that could work um, because these feelings were going to go away. They weren't biological feelings or natural feelings. They were just learned by, uh, according to this therapist. And to put it in a nutshell, things unraveled very quickly. <laughs> okay. So, um, I did not, uh, after that initial rush of here's the, all the answers I've been waiting for. I, I got very suspicious about a lot of the things that I saw in that, what we'd call reparative therapy. It's not all bad. There were some things that were helpful about the, the therapy, including the fact that he told me to tell people and he encouraged me to do that. Um, but overall it, things didn't shift for me the way that he claimed. And a lot of the claims that about why you would have the same sex attraction over time, um, did not, there was not real scientific data behind it. And, you know, you got to believe what you got to believe. And for me, I'm, I'm an analytical person. And I'm a spiritual person. And you have to really, as I dug into his claims and, and also saw my own experience and, and talking to other people and their experience, um, I, I realized that um, I could potentially go into a mixed orientation marriage with this woman, but these feelings were not going to leave. And that's where I got that. That's the reality that I came to. Ultimately, we did not get married. Um, thank goodness. And I decided at that point to live a celibate life. Uh, I would get all the joy from life out of my relationships with family and friends and 
I'd just be one of those, those uh, people who live single. And um, that's the low point <laughs> in my life as I look back. <clears throat> and for anybody who, uh, you know, we have so much empathy, right, rightfully so, for the widows, for single parents. Uh, you know, I have a sister who's who's been single for some time and basically raised her kids on her own. Incredible uh, woman. Uh, it is hard, and I know it's hard um, because I I been there, but um, there's always that hope that you're going to find that next person. Right. And I had got to that place where I'm going to be single my whole life. <laughs> if, if you're, if you're at a married and a, with a spouse and they go out of town for a few days and you're alone for a few days, you know how that feels. And maybe if you don't, you need to take a little time and see how that feels. Give it a week or two alone all the time, you know, and you can, <laughs> have close friends all you want, but it's, um, it's not the way we're designed as people. Um, so it was a tough time for me, a couple years, uh, that I was going to, to do that. And, uh, I, I got to a point where I was living with some friends, all straight friends. We had a, a house we had remodeled. They were all dating girls. I was pretending to date girls so that they would stop asking questions. 26, 27 years old. And I hit a wall and I said, this ain't working. This is not going to work. I was the elders quorum president, I believe at the time, or ward mission leader. And it just was not working. And, um, I'm thankful that I hit that wall and I'm thankful that I went through all that experience, but, and I, I really am, but it was a lot of um, cognitive dissonance that created a lot of turmoil that probably could have been avoided <laughs> in that, that, you know, five, six years of my life. Um, I ended up going through a process of saying, I think I'm going to start uh, dating men. And I want to, but I'm not going to tell anybody about it. And um, and once I um, and it was you know it was a long process to get to that point, but soon thereafter I realized this is what it's supposed to feel like to actually like the person that you're taking on a date. <laughs> this is the thing that my friend on our double date, when he's with that girl and he's not talking to me, he's just looking at her. That's what he's been feeling this whole time. Wait a second. I've been missing out on this. And it became very clear that that's how I'm going to get some joy in my life is by a relationship with another man. And it took me a long time, uh, Richard, to <laughs> accept that about myself. But once I did that, uh, once I said that that was what I was going to do, then I started doing some more therapy. I did this all on my own. My parents, <laughs> I paid for all my therapy. They, they probably didn't even know I was doing it. Went to other therapy to begin to work through that and come to self-acceptance. Um, I went to, to a journey into manhood, um, which there's some good and bad there. I got some good out of it. 
Um, I probably wouldn't recommend it for everybody. Um, but I was exploring what were my different options. And um, one thing that was good about journeying to manhood was uh, they, they do a lot of work around de-shaming. And I, I got some healing there. I didn't subscribe to everything they believed in, but I got some healing about it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to be loved by a man. And they do a lot of that work there that um, I think is critical for wherever you're going to do that work um, and journey into manhood is not something that is gay affirming. So that's why I don't recommend it. Um, but I got, I <laughs> utilized the resources I had access to and I got a lot I, I got out what I needed to get out of it. And then I also did some other therapy just with one-on-one -on -one therapists that was really healing. Um, and and at, that, at that time I was living in Salt Lake and probably the most healing thing for me, uh, honestly, was when I moved to New York and I realized how um, a gay person could live in a, successful life, all the horror stories I had heard growing up about, you know, you're never going to be happy. <laughs> you're never, you're going to be, uh, uh, all the things that I don't even need to repeat about what it means to be gay. I, I didn't know anybody gay growing up in Idaho Falls, not a one person. So the only template I heard were the things that I had heard that were not positive. And I go to, to, uh, New York and I see gay couples, uh, holding hands down the street and I see successful people at my firm, the most successful people at my firm out openly gay with their partner and their family picture on their mantle. And it was just healing for me. It was just healing. So there's a little bit of the uh, uh, shorter version of, of that process. Thank you, Jameson. And, you know, Sue, as you're here in this podcast, I just think, you know, I'm thinking of you a little bit, just that when you had these eight kids, you didn't know this would be your family story. But I think it's an incredibly successful family story. And as I hear Jameson T talk, I think the principles you shared as parents and the love you created in your family and the love that continues to exist there is a great parenting success story. And to hear this articulate, um, well-rounded, thoughtful you know, son of yours with a great career and a great life and a great way to help people I'm putting words into your mouth. But um, I just think you and your husband are, are doing a, such a great job. But it's a credit to you, Jameson. One of the things I'm reflecting of your story is you did everything you knew how to do. There was no single church resource you could go to and said, this is how you do it. You read everything the church had before your mission. And I recognize part of what you read, you know, taught that you could undo this, that's something you did, and that's part of the miracle forgiveness that I wish we would clearly communicate. We don't teach that anymore because that book is still in publication. And I love the nuance where you say there is some good in there, but there's some really painful things that are still in there that aren't the way the church teaches, that you would read that and, and logically speak just put it all on the altar that somehow you could overserve in your mission and this would change. And so I just, it, it just gives me so much empathy for where you are as a teenager in Eastern Canada on your mission. 
Um, Jameson served in leadership in his mission for over a year, had a great relationship with his mission president. I admire your courage to come out to your mission president. It just seems like you're doing everything you know how to do to be straight. Who would not want to be straight, especially just where you grew up and and the faith community you grew up in? Um, I don't know how dark the days got for you, but I admire, I'm glad you're alive. Um and I think one of the things about your story is it gives hope to people that don't have hope just when they hear where you are at this point in your life. Yeah. And that's the, uh, I, I might, I might consider myself lucky, honestly, that I had, uh, the support that I had cause I know many don't. And, um, uh, because could have been a lot different and, I think, you know, the things that, that allies do um, and why it's so critical that there's people that stay in this space is because that's where the people who need the help are. Right. And uh, they, uh, we, we have to, we have to um, uh, allow for people to get through some of this, these conflicts and, and come out better for it which I think I did. I, I wouldn't go any other way because, you know, one of my heroes is uh, CEO of Apple, Tim Cook. And in his out, when he came out publicly, yes, he, he said some beautiful things, but one of the things he said that allows him to be the CEO of the biggest company in the world uh, as a gay man is he has very thick skin. He grew up in Alabama as a, as a gay uh, closeted person and now he can run Apple. Right. Uh, so I, I don't regret it. You know, I'm, I, but it's risky though, because I could have gone a different route, but now, um, I luckily have people, uh, angels along the way, uh, to help me to get through it. And then if you get through it, it's a great thing on the other side. Um, but, uh, so I, I don't regret it. Um, uh, but we need to make it better so that folks do not, so that we don't lose the, the, some of the most talented, uh, beautiful, creative, um, folks that, that God's created. I love your employer, Goldman Sachs and what they did there in the inclusive environment they created in their efforts to proactively meet the needs of their LGBTQ employees. We talked about that before we went live and just how healing that was for you to be in an organization. It's a not a religious organization, but yet it's an organization where they're working to create a feeling of belonging and a feeling of acceptance because they want that organization to be the very best it can and recognize that all people with all sorts of sexual orientations or gendered identities can contribute to the success of that organization. It was, it was like a light, light bulb went on when I got there and they said, you will be more effective as a, as an employee here if you are out and we want you to come out. And they just said this broadly to everybody. And it made me think about all the time and effort and energy I had spent in my life trying to compartmentalize my life. Um, I'm going to be church over here. I'm going to be this over here. And 
when you come back on a Monday morning to the office and people say, well, what'd you do over the weekend? And if you, if you were out at the, uh, uh, the pride event and you can't talk about that, or if you're in my case playing in the, the gay flag football league, you can't talk about that. So you say, Oh, you know, I just put, you know, mow the lawn. Oh, what'd you do? Oh. And then they can talk all about their family and their straight, straight life. And I, the light bulb went on when they said, you will be much more effective here if you just lay that down and you just are yourself. And it made me go, they're so right. That, and I'm not only do I want to live that way at work, I want to live my life that way. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do the two trying to, to decide who I tell what to. And now I'm so lucky because I know some people, gay or straight, don't live that way. I just live authentic now. What a gift that is, right? Everything. You know, I'm 40. I'm single. Some people think that that's weird, especially in Utah. <laughs> that's fine. I don't, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I, I don't need to be on a, a, a pedestal anymore. Um, I'm living my life in a way that, uh, you know, kind of a day at a time and just enjoying it. And I do want to do things in my life. I want to have a family. I want to do those things. But it's not for somebody else anymore. It's not for social pressure. It's because I want, I'm want. i going to choose to do what I want to do. And I don't think about how am I going to be perceived. And what a gift that has been in my life is just not caring what people think anymore. It's a great place to be. And I recognize society made it really hard for you to get there. I recognize you would love to have gotten there earlier, but it was just impossible. And our younger people are getting there quicker. And they have air cover from people like you and others that have come out. I love what you said way back earlier where you said you came to this personal conclusion, personal revelation, whatever you want to say, that Heavenly Father is good with this, me being gay, because he created me. Um, and so we're in this together. And with everything else sort of not – I love – I'm paraphrasing that, but it's pretty powerful. I don't know if you want to talk about that anymore, Jameson. You know, as I look back, that was such an important realization and an important uh, moment where I I basically had a question. I think I even wrote it on a post-it note that was, can I become who God wants me to become in my life as a gay man? And I just posted it there and I'm just going to chew on that and I because I need an answer to that. And as answers often do in my life, they kind of come at three in the morning when I wake up. And you're still on Eastern Canada yeah. time. <laughs> and I woke up and it was like, of course you can. Of course. And then the follow up was, it depends on what you do. You know, if, if I decided to go spend my life only about myself and maybe getting into drugs or getting into um, a very selfish life. I don't think that that's what God wants me to do with my time. I don't. I don't think that's why I'm here. Um, but can I be a gay man and do great things and have a, a partner who I love? Maybe I never have a partner to do. That's fine. Maybe I just date from I have a partner every year, I still think I can <laughs> be doing great things that God's happy with. 
Although I will say, I don't want to have a partner every year. <laughs> I'd like to have one person to live my life with, but maybe that doesn't happen. Um, I'm not, I'm not uh, required that for happiness and I'm not required that for becoming who God wants me to be. Some of the greatest people who I've met are people who have um, in their own weird eclectic way lived a life that is not what we ever thought about as being a successful life in kind of the traditional Mormon culture. And, and I look at them, you know, people who I met on my mission, people who I've met since, and I know that God's happy with how they've lived their life. And I think they've, they've used their time very well. That's all I want to do. And, and when that answer came to me, I had that post-it note. And when that answer came to me, it was just a sense of relief. It isn't about me being married to a woman that's going to make me live the life God wants, which is the story I'd been told. That's not what, that's not for me. It's not, it's something else. And I can live a life that's very, ha that accomplishes what I'm here to do in my own way. And that was very, um, I think, and I thought I had to go back and think about that from time to time too. And I remember that moment when that came, I don't think that came from me. I think I woke up and, I'd been thinking about that question and then the answer came and I, I bank on that and, and I got a lot of peace around that. I love that, James. And I love your idea of being authentic. I think of Christ and I think he wants us all to be authentic and wants us to be our true selves and recognize the dissonance. If we're not, that can create within us and culturally in the church and maybe unculturally, it's hard to do that if you're LGBTQ. I'm thinking still of Goldman Sachs. They talk about the survey they sent out. They, if I understand correctly, they sent a survey out to everybody, but they wanted to get feedback from those who were LGBTQ. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm there about six months and I'm in the closet. I'm dating guys pretty exclusively, but I'm not telling anybody about it. And... I get to, to Goldman and they have this, this uh, supportive environment. It's not even, you know, yeah, it's okay if you're gay. It's, we want you to be out here. We're training the, the straight folks on what they should do, how they can support you, how they can understand you. This is stuff that I think a lot of people just think, oh, I, I know how to handle um, having relationships with LGBT people. I just don't talk about it. You know, the, the, just treat them like everybody else. That's it, you're talking my language. Right. From and it's seven years ago. That's me, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's better than nothing. So uh, that's a step, but they put all their employees in training, you know? So if you know, you have a, a colleague who's has a, a same sex partner, what should you ask about? How should you talk about, how should you talk about it? And people come out of the, you know, sometimes they go to the training begrudgingly and then they come out of it going, I think I'll, I understand people better now, you know? So they put this emphasis around it and I'm going to the trainings and I'm seeing all of the emphasis and I'm feeling so comfortable there. I'm feeling like if I could ever come out, it would be a place like this. And uh, they send a survey out to to LGBT members of the firm. And it says, if you're LGBT, reply to this. If you're not, don't worry about it. But we want to know if you're feeling affirmed here. We want to know what's helping, what's not helping. 
And it was just so thoughtful, right? Just asking, you know, how is it? We don't get that as LGBT people, right? So it touched me when I got it. It made me go, wow, this is, this is a special place. Um, special people here. And I didn't fill the survey out when I got it. And it, it started eating me a, a little bit saying, you know, can I live with myself, not telling them, not telling them, thank you for the efforts that they're putting in, in this firm. Cause clearly I, this, all their efforts are really for me, <laughs> this guy that's closeted. And I, now I do feel so much better being here. So few days later, I uh, woke up early. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. That's kind of my time. It might even be 3.13. I don't know. It's, it's pretty much the same time still every, every most many days. And it was really clear that it was time for me to come out publicly. At that point, only my family really had known a couple friends, but not even some really close friends had known. And I was like, I, I just want to come out. And... Um, and that survey really prompted it because I wanted to fill the survey out. And I knew that my boss would find out that I, you know, that I filled it out and he didn't know I was gay. So I ended up deciding to come out and I filled the survey out. And, um, and, and that really did prompt me to, to make that next move. And maybe I would have come out later uh, with something else, but that's really what prompted me. And the only thing I would say about coming out um, is I wish I had done it earlier. The only thing that prevented me from coming out were my own fears and social pressures, which are never good reasons to do anything or to not do anything. And I look at the kids now, uh, my nephew, he came out just junior year. They have some real courage, you know, and they, they grow their courage by doing it. You know, they, they, they have enough courage to do it, but their courage just expands by doing it, you know, cause that's, that's how we grow in anything is by doing something. So when they actually do it and they say it, I, I love it. And I love the fact that they're doing it early. I, I love that they can go to a prom with someone that they like. I wish I had been able to. Right. Um, talk about it's, coming out. So that, yeah. Talk about your coming out video in 2013. I, are yeah. we right in 2013 with this Goldman Sachs survey? Yeah, that's okay. right. I decided to to do a video because I wanted everybody in my large extended family and other friends from college, from mission, to hear it from me directly. I didn't want them to hear it from somebody else or from a letter or from an email. I'd rather them just have to look at me and hear it from me. So I decided to do a video and... Uh, recorded a video. It's kind of a somber video. Um, and um, I'm glad I, I did it, shared it. And a lot of people uh, shared it, even though it's it's not a real, you know, <laughs> fun video to share, just kind of a, a topic that uh, I think a lot of people cared about. So they shared it. And, um, and it was it was great. All, all those fears kind of went away. You know, the fears tend to come before we, we do something. So once we do it, the actual reality is usually less. And it was, and the anxieties I had, my family had, 
um, about doing that, looking back, they were all for not. Those anxieties were just in our head and the responses were all good. And then we've had other things on top of that we never expected. Um, and not only me, but family members where people have come up to them and said, I saw that video and I have a family member. And if we hadn't done that, that no, those connections never would have happened. That sense of shared uh, experience together would never have been able to happen. So um glad that, glad that uh, I bit the bullet, just wish I had done it even earlier. And I know your mom who's here has talked about how many in the community that you live in have talked to you because you've got a gay son and they've got gay family members and need someone to talk to. And I recognize the role that your family plays, just like you're describing, Jameson, in the broader LDS community of being a safe family. And one of the things I talked about early on is, you know, I didn't choose this and I know not, my family didn't choose us either. And that's really, in my opinion, what a parent is. It's not about, as a parent, it's not about you. It's not about you reflecting your ego or what you want on your kids and having your kids make you look like a shining star. It's about what's best for my kid. And that's what real parenting is, is I'm just, if my kid wants to, if my kid's this, I'm going to support them the best way that I can. Sometimes as a parent, maybe you don't want to do that. Or if brother, you don't want to do that. But the growth that comes into what a selfless parent is, and that's happened in our family, right? We've, we, none of us chose this, yet here we are. And um, I think most of them would say we were beneficiaries of it. Sue, do you want to give any advice for parents with LGBTQ kids? We're kind of ad-libbing here. The microphone's going your way. <laughs> I would uh, tell them to get uh, educated, maybe get into a group that you can talk about um, with each other's feelings, uh, and never be ashamed of your child. Um uh, we knew that Jameson didn't choose this, and uh, through his siblings educating their mother, telling me what to say and to hug him and tell him that we're proud of him no matter what, and we love him no matter what. Uh, and so he has great siblings. His brothers and sisters have just been behind him and have taught his parents how to be better parents because of their example. And um, I think those are some of the things I would tell them. So you don't make it very complicated. And what you said is so powerful. You don't need to give a 20-minute answer. What you gave is really powerful and really simple. Um, and I love, before we went live, how you talked about Jameson. I, I don't know if these were the exact words, but just one of your uh, most spiritual children and just deeply connected to our Heavenly Father. Yeah, and I think um, this was this has been hard for my mom and my my dad and siblings. It has been, and we're a little out of that now. <clears throat> but there's nothing like a mother's love. That's got me through a lot too. 
as hard as it's been for her, I knew it's been, it's been hard, but I knew she always loved me more than anything else. That's so important, even through all of the other stuff. So I, she doesn't have to even think about that. She just does love me. And that's the best part. It's a great spirit here as you two just are here talking about this. And I think this is your finest family moments walking this space. And I would think your families had more vulnerable and honest and real conversations. And the whole culture of your family has changed to a point where it just it, your family just talk about stuff, whether it's whatever subject. And I think it's a great credit to your family culture as I've met many of your family and and I just see that picture once in a while come across my Facebook feed of Sue, you and your husband, Brett, and this whole posterity. And there's just happiness in everybody's faces. I think that's what our heavenly parents want for families. And it's hard at times. And original expectations don't always turn out. But what just happened between you and Jameson, to me, that's where heavenly parents just love that we can love each other. And <clears throat> I think it's important too that um, I'm not pushing my family away from the church. It means too much to them. Uh, it's been a great thing for them in their life. And I, I don't want to, I've never wanted to disrupt that in their life. And that's a real, been a real challenge. Uh, but I know how important it is to my parents, to my siblings, uh, to uh, support the uh, the brethren, the leaders of the church, to uh, support the doctrine of the church. And, you know, so we kind of leave that aside and we just focus on love. Okay. Because I'm not going to, we're not going to solve that one here. <laughs> Thankfully, I don't think our lives end here. So we have other time to figure that out. But I want to honor that from that from from them. I try not to stir the pot too much. Um, Why, Jameson? Because there probably is tremendous pain for you. I'm putting words in your mouth that something outside of your control, your sexual orientation, has not made possible some of the things you hoped for, and. And that the church has not always or often been helpful to you, like Goldman has, for example. And and there's pain and anger, and you'd lost any pain goes into anger that sometimes needs a face or a a focus. And I this is maybe you talking to others that feel so much pain and anger at the church and maybe want to get past that if possible. Yeah, I've I've definitely been there. Um and I've uh, got a lot of peace by really focusing on acceptance and really trying to fill that. And it, at first it was accepting my own sexual orientation. And now it's just, it's accepting the church, not for what I want it to be, not for what it should be in my opinion, just accept it. I don't have to judge it. I don't have to change it. And there's a tremendous amount of peace in acceptance. And it's the same with 
people in family or friends who have different views on LGBT, I just accept them. That's just where they're at right today. And I don't try to say, well, maybe they'll change. They're just, <laughs> and I try to get under the layer because underneath whatever facade, there's a layer of a spiritual good person there. There is. I can't think of anybody who has views that I totally disagree with, but if I can get past those and go to the essence of that person, that human, they're good. They're, they're, with rare exceptions, we're so, such good people. And they're, we're all in this together. We're brothers and sisters. For, you know, we're all children of God to use our common LDS vernacular. right? So we let all these things that are surface level, political issues, LGBT issues, divide us. And we forget getting to the essence. And I'm not saying, I'm not minimizing it. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, I want a relationship with my dad. 80 years old. <laughs> I don't know how long he's going to be here. I want a relationship with him. So I'm not going to spend all my time trying to change something that he cares a lot about. Because I want a relationship with him. That's, that's all we have, right? For the, the rest of, the, of our, of our lives. Um, and I'm not going to, I, I want, I don't want to, um, the people in my life who value the church, they're some of the best people in my life. And I don't want to minimize that for them. So I think that for me, I focus on accepting it. And there's a tremendous amount of peace there. And when I lay that sword down or lay that cross down, then I can just focus on me being with that person. I'm just so moved by that, the maturity of where you are. Grace is the only word I can use to, to put my arms around what you just shared with us. Just tremendous grace. the gospel of Jesus Christ you're sharing with us, Jameson. I think of a line of a headline I saw in the Desert News recently about preserve the relationship and how that's the thing I think that makes our heavenly parents really happy is when we find ways to preserve a relationship and keep the family circle together and sort of let it all at the Savior's feet. And you and the Manwaring family are doing that. But where you are is a really just, I don't meet many people that have kind of gotten to where you are. Um, and I'm sure if we did this podcast in 2013, it might be a little different, but it's a credit to you, Jameson, and just all the work you've done with all the places you could go to find help to just continue and to not to try to do this all alone um, and bring all the people in your life to help you. And you're a strong guy used to doing hard things on your own takes a bit of, I don't know, we want to use the humility, but just a bit of, you know, just who you, the core character you saying, I'm going to use all the resources in my circle to get where I need to be because I want to be in a good spot. And there's not much of a roadmap for me. <laughs> I've got to kind of figure this out myself. And I I've live a very rich life because of that. I do. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been able to understand people who I never would have thought I would have understood. 
um, who I have friends in mixed orientation marriages. Um, I have friends in gay relationships, long-term relationships. And I feel like I understand both how the, those dynamics. Um, I, one, one person who, uh, started a lot of that, um, initial, uh, journey into manhood, David Matheson got to know him before. And now I see where he's at now as, as he, as he basically has said that sort of therapy doesn't work and he's one of the founders of it. And, um, I like the richness of life, right? I mean, I like exploring this stuff and I don't regret, that's why I don't regret that journey I had in my twenties. It was bumpy, but I was able to really, uh, see things. And now I, now I have a lot more respect for people, you know, I have friends with Ty Mansfield. He's, uh, he helped me in my early stages and now he's married and has kids. I have, I've chose to live a totally different life than him, but I totally, but I respect him. And, and I feel like, um, he's lived the life for him. And why can't we just let people do that? We, 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 the, actually the answer is we can, we're just scared. We're scared of what that means. And that goes for me too. If I, if I want him to be able to be able to live a life as a, as a, you know, someone with same sex attraction with a woman and have kids. And if I'm not okay with that, but I'm okay with me having a partner and kids, then that's not consistent. We have to support people when they're doing things that they're, they're living the life that, that they feel like they should live. We just need to support them and get back to, to, um, that essence of them, uh, living their, you know, living their best life as the saying is right now. And I feel like I'm living my best life right now. I really do. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm grateful for the, the journey that I've had on, and grateful for where I'm, where I'm at now. And I just try every day to have a, to be happy that I'm alive. Cause I, there's, I, I there's a good chance I couldn't be alive today. I'm happy to be alive, happy to be doing things like this and um, looking forward to, you know, a great life going forward as well. And you are doing great things. We haven't even gotten to some of these things like um, what you're doing. You founded a company called Neighborhood Ventures Incorporated in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, you've, the article that I'm looking at here says from Wall Street to Main Street and just your work to spread the wealth around and just talk a little bit about what you're doing professionally. Yeah. So after Goldman Sachs, I moved to Arizona, to join a company that I had helped with their IPO, LifeLock, and um, worked there for a few years. We got bought out and I decided to found another company with a business partner. It's been four years now. Basically, what we do is... Uh, or commercial real estate developer. And then I raise the capital in a, in a fund. And we have big investors that invest millions of dollars with us. And we have investors that invest a thousand dollars with us, the whole gamut. And uh, we decided to build our business that way uh, because we wanted to have a, a very diverse investor base. And a, we wanted to open it up to 
a large group of people and not limited, which typically investing in commercial real estate is limited to high net worth individuals. So we set up our company completely different. We do crowdfunding. So you invest directly on our website. We had an event uh, uh, that in our, in our early days when things were hard, as any any startup, any new challenge, you're going to have your hard days. And I, I was having a hard day. It was actually about a year and a half ago. And we went to an event and all our invest, a bunch of investors had come to an open house. And there was a guy there in a postal uniform. And I thought, is he, is he really an investor in our project? And I went and started talking to him. And before I even could say anything, he said, I love what you guys are doing. I've been working this neighborhood for 20 years. And I saw your flyer that you got what you were doing. And I was so excited to be able to invest in a project right in a neighborhood that I knew so well. So he invested like $5,000 in a project right in his neighborhood. And um, that was when it really, uh, the light bulb went off for me that I love that we can have such a diverse group of investors. My grandpa, my dad's dad was a postal carrier his whole life. Hard, hard work. And they get very few, you know, sexy investment opportunities like this. And so for this guy to be able to invest with us, you know, and the guy that's standing next to him invested $300,000. He doesn't know that. No, we, we love, we, I love that, that part about what we're doing. And so we, we just closed on our 10th project, um, all in Arizona. Uh, it's the latest one is 120 unit, uh, hotel that we're converting to an apartment. They all have kitchens in the hotel. It's like an extended stay hotel. And there's a big shortage of housing in Arizona. So we're converting it to an apartment building. We've raised uh, about $3 million from our investors. Um, uh, the, uh, we have 200 investors in the project. So I'm loving it. I, I love what we do. And I love uh, probably the biggest thing with being an entrepreneur that I love is being able to, to have a vision and create it. When you work at a big company, you, you're kind of a cog in the wheel. That's why I didn't last at Goldman. <laughs> I was good for a while, but you're easily replaced. Now you go create a company, you can you can see a vision that you have in your head come to reality and, and it's fine. It takes a while, but it's finally doing that. So it's been really, really fun and rewarding. I love you sharing that. And I think it just, the word I wrote down is hope, Jameson, as you were talking, you at 40 give hope to younger LGBTQ people that... I think hope is one of the greatest gifts we can give to each other. And especially someone who says, how is my future going to work out? Is there a path for me? Do Can I have hope um, in this intersection? And to hear your story of where you are and how you're contributing and how your career is unfolded, gives hope, it gives hope to straight people listening that don't quite know how their life's going to work out. And um, I assume if I'd had you on the podcast at 21 and you had talked about this kind of stuff, being a, your own company and doing this, it would have been, I don't know, probably it's just different. It's interesting how it's just all worked out. And maybe the one little advice there. Good. Go for is, it. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, in my head with these worries, with these fears, with these concerns. And, you know, the biggest thing is just starting to do something. Just go, you know, um, have an idea, go do it, try it out. Failure is okay. 
you're, you're probably going to fail and that's just okay. You'll go do something else. But, um, I spent probably more time than was necessary kind of dithering going back and forth. And at some point you just got to move, you got to go and do it. And, and that's where the, the real magic comes when you, when you go start some, start something and, and see it happen. And I love in this profile piece that you mentioned your mission president aside. The question is aside from your parents, the most influential person in your life is Lynn Blake, LDS mission president. And then later on, it talks about you being a foster parent and just like a straight person would talk, just factual. I got licensed last year. I have two kids. I have two kids placed with me so far. I'm gay, so I don't have a wife to have biological children. Just a statement of fact with no shame. And I like the way you just keep all, you're just authentic back to the word you used on just who you are. And you've matured to a point that seems to come pretty naturally for you just to talk about who you are. Um, and I think that gives hope for younger people. Um, I'll just say one more comment and give it back to you. But I, I, I do, since I'm a marketing guy, I'm always thinking about ways to improve. And I do love what Goldman did. And I think of what we could do as a church to create more belonging. That's a word that's really picked up in the church recently. And, what, and the feelings that Goldman did to create value in you and the education they did internally to help straight Goldman Sachs employees know how to better support LGBTQ Goldman Sachs because it helped the whole organization. And I believe those same needs exist within the church. And, and to do that, listeners, I don't think you have to change doctrine. Um, you just have to create, I mean, is it, the bar is kind of low sometimes in this space within the church. And um, I think of, I'm a marketing research guy. So I think of that survey going out to all members and saying, if you're LGBTQ, what could we do? And then the training that could happen at the local level just to create. And then maybe the thing that touched you the most about the Goldman piece is that we need you because you'll help us be a better company. And some of our very best and brightest people are LGBTQ executives here contributing immensely to the success of this company. And that's where I mourn a little bit, Jameson, to be honest, that we don't... Um, we don't have a place a lot of times for LGBTQ members and they make their way forward. And some like you giving grace to find a way to make it work in the church. And I love that you support people that, but I, I love the way you're just supporting everybody on their individual path. And that's certainly what this podcast, but I do mourn that many just feel that there isn't a place for them and, and, and we're worse off. And I just recognize that. And so, yeah, we're, you know, your your contributions to our church that happen so much of your life aren't really possible right now. And I don't fault you. Yeah, I, I have it, to I have to go serve outside the church. And and uh there's a lot of places that need the service. Uh, but I would be happy to serve in the church. Um and you know, I it's partly a generational uh thing. So when I started at Goldman, there was five or six BYU grads that, that started with me joining at Goldman. And these are the you know best and brightest, including number one uh, in the accounting school at, at BYU, who, which is the number one accounting school and the number one in the class started with me. And these people see no conflict with their religion and <laughs> supporting LGBT people, the, the you know, millennials that they, they see a conflict if they aren't supported. Uh, 
um, that's where their conflict comes. And, and it's a real to them. Um, one, the same person, I'd, if I said his name, he'd be embarrassed probably, but he was number one in the accounting school at BYU, number, number one accounting school in the nation. And he was not Mormon, but he had come here and he lived with a Mormon family in high school, stayed, did BYU. And I asked him, I said, so what do you think about the church? And this was actually before I came out. So he thought, assumed I was straight and he knew I was LDS. I said, so what do you think about the church? You know, you went to high school here, you went to BYU here. He said, I love the church. <clears throat> and he said, so many good things about it with family. I think I, I loved it. He said, there's just one issue, how they treat LGBT people. And he didn't know that that, he would, that that was me, but that was his issue. Number one, you know, out of his class. And if I think about who does the church want to bring in to the fold, it's this guy. It's number, and he off the cuff, he said, I love everything about one thing, how they, to him, he cannot reconcile that. And I think he has a point. And I think, you know, as, as our generation, we don't see, a conflict in that we see a conflict in not doing that. That's a great segment. And so many, you speak for so many others when you share his story that, and their, and their doctrinal foundation to feel that way is they look at the life of Christ. They're not looking at a new story to come to that conclusion. I think a lot like me have just come to the conclusion, looking at the life of Christ and what he taught and we just have work to do, and it's a really painful time in the intersection of being LDS and LGBTQ. But I love what your family's doing and what you're inviting others to do is just be the very best self you can. And our job is just love you and support you and help you be the very best self you can. And your family has done that. And I look at the way you're contributing and I look at the space you're in emotionally and spiritually and, you know, credit to you. Yeah, and I, I know right now is a hard time for, for allies. Um, but when I was growing up, there weren't allies in the church. And so it is so important that you guys keep doing your work. Even through the, the pain and the, the canyons that are growing in, in, in your own life. And... I don't know how you reconcile all of all of these things, but there's um, uh, I just know how important the work is that, that you guys are doing. And so part of why I wanted to make sure I was on your podcast was just to, to say thank you for the work you're doing. You're in the trenches. Stay in. We, we need you to stay here and we need all the other folks who are doing it to stay there, too. That's great. Anything else, Jameson, you'd like to share? All right. I think I'm talked out. <laughs> well, Sue, thank you for sharing some thoughts as a mom that spoke to a lot of parents. And Jameson, thank you. And if there's any man-wearing family members listening, you are just an incredible family that has blessed my life and has mentored me in this space. And I think you've mentored and helped people more than you'll ever know. 
Um, that's the entire family I'm speaking to. So this is Richard Osler and Jameson Manwaring signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>